That was Tina Arena with Tant que tu es là, As Long as You're Here. It's a French song to introduce a story about the reputed world centre of French gastronomy, the home of Paul Bocuse and a biennial gastronomy competition that bears his name. Graham Kemlo, drifting around on the internet, stumbled across a British-born travel writer, Anna Richards, who's left the UK to live in Lyon. Partly for cost savings, but partly for the convenience of travelling around the European mainland. What caught Graham's eye online was Anna's post that she would never accept a writing commission about a cruise ship because of her concern about their unsustainable emission levels. Graham asked her to explain. I'm speaking with Anna Richards. Anna was somebody that I just stumbled across breezing around social media one day. And uh, Anna's a journalist, a colleague uh, in this profession, like me. She's in, in Britain. Um, which is based with the British Guild of uh, Travel Writers. She's actually now living in Lyon. That's a whole other story we're going to ask her about, why she's chosen to uh, to live in Lyon. Although it's probably a city with a lot of good food, uh, Anna, so I don't blame you for that. But welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Now, Anna, I noticed your social media because you, you had a fairly strong sustainability stance, saying you would accept no commissions for work that involved cruise lines. Can you just explain that to us? I think I know the answer, but can I hear it in your voice (laughs) or words? Yep, absolutely. Um, So I I read a little while ago that uh, cruise ships were much, much more polluting than flights. And the the kind of the average stat that that I got for that was that that per passenger they polluted roughly, they they released roughly four times more CO2 emissions per passenger than than a flight would do. Wow. Um, And bearing in mind that, you know, I think anybody, in in our industry is aware of how polluting flights are even you know even if if, if we choose to ignore it I thought well you know there's, there's absolutely no excuse for for me to ever be going on a cruise yeah. <laughs> um so yes that was it I suppose okay and did that play any part in your decision to move now you, you said to me off air that you were actually uh from Cornwall your family's from Cornwall um yeah. but, but I assume you were working in London were you in journalism uh, no, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't actually really working in journalism when I was in the in the UK. Um, right. I started writing uh, during the pandemic, yeah. uh, which was largely um, largely born. I mean, I've always written, but not for sort of a public audience. And mm. it was kind of, it was largely born out of being out of work and and cooped up um, for mm. quite quite a large part of the pandemic. Mm. So I started writing and pitching to magazines without having any idea what I was doing and how oh. to. Good on you. Or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. Good on you. Um, not at all trained in journalism. It was um, it was very much a hobby. I did a lot of student radio when I was at university. I absolutely loved it. It was my mm. big hobby there. I spent a lot of time in the studios. And I, I, I mean, as I said, I'd always written, um, but not for an audience. You know, I'd sort of I'd write anecdotal tales about my my trips to, okay. to friends when I went away, and I'd write letters. I'd write really long letters that would go. I suppose they'd be a little bit like a travel article in yeah. structure, just about you know some funny event. That happen i'd send them back to friends but no 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 journalism training i've had a very unorthodox route into okay oh, that, well it, there's nothing wrong with that but you um you obviously enjoy the travel writing bit and and i think your stance is is uh well i don't know whether i can do it I, I mean, it's a long way down here 
I, I take your point. If you look at a ship that might have 2,500 passengers and there's four times the amount per passenger being uh, being emitted, you can take a lot of flights before you catch up to that sort of number. Yeah, and I, again, you know, I think I'm speaking from quite a lucky position where I'm living in mainland Europe, and I think that, you know, you, you guys living in Australia, you're obviously hugely more limited for, um, you know, how, how you're going to travel if you want to leave Australia. So, sure. um, but I, I, I think, you know, that's, that's not sort of what I'm really taking issue with as well. You know, somebody wants to leave Australia for, for sort of, you know, a month long trip. You're probably going to take a flight. You're probably going to do it. And, um, that's going to be the most practical way by mm. far. But one thing they've done in France recently, which I, I really respect. So I'm really glad that they've done it. They've, um, they've banned flights, domestic flights on journeys that would take under two hours by train or road. And, you know, I think that's great because, yeah, frankly, a, a flight would take longer once you've gone through security and everything anyway. So there, there just doesn't seem to be a need for that. Yeah, you were saying to me also before we came on here that uh, the uh, the Paris-London trip on the TGV, for example, works out quicker than going to the airport at either city because you yeah. start in the middle of the city, you end in the middle of the city, and uh, you haven't had quite the degree of uh, baggage and security. Although there is some security on the TGV, obviously, but nothing like you have to put up with at uh, Charles de Gaulle or London Heathrow. Yeah, and you can take a couple of bottles of wine through as well. You know, you're not restricted to hand luggage, so you don't have to just be there with with your with your sort of your you know your tiny little liquids bottles. Yeah, uh, but no, it's much quicker. And I I looked at we were speaking off air about. Um, exactly how how far it is, and it's it's about three hundred and forty kilometres. I've just looked okay. that up, but um, well, yeah, it takes just just over two hours. It's very yeah. Quick. Well, so Melbourne Sydney, which is the the route that I think most Aussies would love to see a fast train on, that's closer. I think that's more like nine hundred kilometres um, mm -hmm. up there, and it's an hour and a half flight. But for example, um, you know, if you want to go to the airport, you've got to be there up to two hours ahead of the flight, go through all the palaver. Then at the other end, you've got to retrieve your luggage. Sometimes that can take at least half to three quarters of an hour. Then you've got to get into the city. So, I mean, there could be a case matter, just a question of, I guess, of how fast these trains can go. And I think some in China uh, are going incredibly quickly. Shanghai's got an airport to the city train that's that's incredibly fast, as as I understand it. Oh, well, that's good. And it's, I guess other issues around sustainability also concern you, yeah? Yes. Um, and I, I, I think that you, what I'd caveat this with is that, you know, I, I think that we, that we all try and make efforts, um, to, to, to reduce our impact. And that means that, you know, we, we, we choose to sort of, to give up some things. For example, you know, we choose to take a moral stance on, I'm not going to take a cruise ship. I choose to not take short haul flights, but you know, I'm not going to say that I'm never going to take a flight ever because mm. there's, you know, there's, there's uh, a lot of places in the world which are incredibly difficult to, to get to if you don't fly. But I hope that, you know, I'm not going to become somebody who, goes to you know takes a flight to india for a weekend for example no. but um yeah there's there's lots of changes little changes that i'm trying to do um so three years ago i stopped eating meat um, due due to the the environmental impact of you know sort of raising beef cattle but yes i mean it, it does concern me i think you know sustainability should concern all of us and i think mm. it should particularly concern all of us in the travel industry as well who i mean we we see the effects of it first time yeah well we do actually and uh people 
do talk to us about that on a on a regular sort of basis. Now, tell me about your decision to move to uh, Lyon, a beautiful city in uh, France. Um, why Lyon? Um, so it, it, I originally thought that I was just going to come to Leon for about a year and I knew Leon a little bit because I, I studied languages at university and I spent a few months in rural France about an hour outside Leon. and as a 20 year old stuck in a tiny little French village uh, my housemate and I used to hitchhike to Leon every weekend mm-hmm. check into the cheapest youth hostel run around see the flight uh, the, the the sites and um, and you know go to go to the bars at night and I just thought it was a wonderful city it had a real buzz it was a good size so it was already on my radar no. it's also it's close to the mountains um, it's close to it, it's so easy to get around from Leon as well I can take a bus that costs four euros and takes two hours and I'm in Switzerland and that for somebody who grew up on an island <laughs> that's that's pretty special yeah absolutely are you a skier Anna uh, I'm a baby skier. I uh, I never went on skiing trips with uh, my family. Right. So I learned at the ripe old age of 29 last year. <laughs> um, and most of it was was kind of a case of, because it's, it's an expensive sport to get into, most of it was yeah. a case of copying friends from the area yeah. who all look as though they've been born on skis, barrel down a mountain after them and try and imitate what they were doing. So I'm not a particularly good skier, but I have a lovely time. Oh, that's a, that's fantastic! I don't know you love the outdoors you, because you describe yourself as a travelling outdoor writer. So, is it sort of hiking, or what? What? What attracts you about the outdoors? Hiking is is um, a big part of of what I do. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think I've I've always been quite an outdoorsy person. Um, when when I was little, growing up in in Cornwall, uh, days out with my dad would always be you know going on bike rides, going out on he had a little sailing dinghy, so we'd go out on that. We'd always be sort of down at the beach or off on a walk, um, and we always went on camping trips right. uh, when I was little. And I I've always loved that. I think that you know the the, the outdoors, I mean, I, I'm always a fan of seeing a spectacular natural view, a monument. Mm. I think that, you know, being outside does wonders for your mental health as mm. well. There's no kind of buzz quite like when you've just disconnected from everything for several days and been off, you know, hiking and camping. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I love to spend as much time outside as possible. And is, uh, is France an expensive place to live? I sort of got the impression it might be. It's not Spain. Or Portugal? Uh, it's not Spain. <laughs> it's it's more expensive than Spain and Portugal, definitely. It's it kind of equates in price to to the UK, I'd say. Okay. So I I have done a stint living in London, and Lyon is significantly cheaper than London, right. <laughs> so that's good. But um, yeah, France is it's not a cheap place to live, um, and there are some things that cost significantly more here than in the UK, and and vice versa. Right. Uh, but Lyon, like you, you can. Leon is relatively affordable compared right. to the, the capital. Okay. And you obviously uh, sort of embedded yourself there and you're doing work to improve the language skills, your language skills, etc. But I, it sounds like I read a, I read your return email, out-of-office email, and it was, there was a beautifully constructed French sentence there. I couldn't pronounce it all, but it looked pretty good. <laughs> well, I know I know that I still have a fairly strong accent. Um, I don't think I'm going to fool anyone that I'm no, French. No, yet, nor am but, um... I. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's very hard to lose an accent, and everyone, you know, everyone tells me it's charming to keep your accents. That's fine. Um, no, I think that was that was another kind of um, another thing that uh, inspired me to to move to France. I wanted to go somewhere where I did speak a reasonable amount of the language, right. and I also wanted because I wasn't really working in journalism when I was in the UK. I didn't want it all to be a waste of time if it didn't work. Right. So I thought, well, worst case scenario. I, you know, I'd, I'd saved up a bit of money and I thought, well, the worst case scenario, if it doesn't work and, you know, if nobody wants to read what I've written and no one wants to commission me, um, at least I'm going to come back speaking better French. And I mean, I, I just got quite lucky that I, I live with a French guy. I, um, I go to a co-working space with people who the vast majority are French. Most of my friends here are Francophone. So it's, it's forced me into it. And now I spend a lot more time speaking French than not. Oh, well, it's yeah, a, well so. that's a fantastic way to learn, I think. If you don't have a lot of options, there's no escape at all. You've got to uh, bite the bullet and uh, exactly. forgive the embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's exhausting at first. And obviously, you know, you do embarrass yourself quite a lot um, at first. But it's, it's, it's become a lot less exhausting now. And it comes, you know, a, a lot more naturally now. Yeah. No, I, I bet. And I commend you for doing that. I think that's the really is probably the only way to go. Now, just talk to me about Lyon. I know that it has this fantastic cooking event each year, uh, Boku Store. Is- I, I don't know. I, there's, there's so many food events yeah. in Lyon. Yeah. Um, and Paul Bocuse is one of, well, he's, he's, he's the most famous chef to come out of Lyon, although he shouldn't be. And I'd love to talk about that because mm. there's, there's another chef that, that, that came before Paul Bocuse that even like trained him. Um, and I think is much more deserving of fame than Paul Bocuse. <laughs> um, oh, but maybe Leon we can very, talk about that another time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and so the, I mean, I guess the problem is, though, if you want to get into the gastronomy as a customer, that's a pretty expensive way to go, isn't it? Eating out in Leon doesn't have to be expensive. No, oh, okay. I mean there's a lot of the, there's a lot of Michelin starred restaurants, so they obviously do come with quite a price tag. Mm. Um, a good hack if you want to try one of the better restaurants is to go at lunchtime because they'll often have really really good deals right. um, for lunch menus. But there's also there's a lot of really cheap restaurants in Leon that are really good as well, and that's definitely something that I've noticed a difference in with in France as opposed to the UK. Is that you can you can go out for a decent meal uh, a, a lot more cheaply? I think it's this you know this huge emphasis on gastronomy here that means that you know there's, there's such a culture of going out to restaurants, so often it's not nearly as expensive as it would okay. be in the UK. I don't know about Australia. Well, well, I mean Melbourne is the food capital of Australia as far as most of us are concerned, and it's, it is getting expensive here because. Um, oh, really? ingredients are getting more expensive, mm. you know, and I don't think the grower is necessarily getting the money. I think there's a middleman called a supermarket or a, a provider, a provador, um, who's probably making a lot more money than he used to. But, uh, yeah, it, it's been it's been an issue we have talked about on on the radio show. So I'm fascinated to hear that uh, that Leon, with, with such a wonderful reputation, can also is a place that you could have an affordable meal. That, that's a, that's a great easily, uh, yeah. And I think start. it's just you know it's it's this sort of this French idea that you know quick cuisine is everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know even um even even when you go to sort of really really quite cheap eating joints, the standard of the food can be really excellent. 
Oh, well, it sounds like I'd, I'd need to worry about my waistline if I, if I was to spend any time <laughs> over there. I do, continually. <laughs> oh, dear. No, well, that's great, Anna. It's really lovely to talk to you, And uh, even though, I, as I said earlier, I stumbled upon you basically, not looking for anything in, in particular. But, yeah, it's it's lovely to have, have you there. So being based in Lyon, do you actually use that uh, mainland European uh, position to shoot off into, well, you mentioned Switzerland in the bus, but do you go to other places as well to just experience uh, another culture or maybe different food or wine? Uh, yeah, I do. I moved a year and a half ago, and I'd say the vast majority of my trips have been in France because it's, it, I mean, it's such a varied country, you know. Mm. It's, um, there's there's so much scope here. But I've I've also been up to Belgium, carpooling. Uh, I've been down to Spain and to Italy on the train. I've been over to Switzerland on the bus. So it's it's a really good leaping off point. To, and you know that that that's. I'm very lucky to be able to do that as well. So, you know, when I sort of sit there and I say we shouldn't be jumping on flights left, right and centre, except that I am speaking from, you know, a very privileged position where I'm in this this very central location where I don't have to fly all the time. Graham Kemlo was speaking with travel writer Anna Richards in Lyon, France. This is The Travel Writer Show. 